So I uh, usually don't pay a whole lot of attention to what the title of the message that I'm about to give here is like. It's not that it's a bad thing, but usually we just copy whatever the main idea is, you know, like Jesus is our hope or something like that. Or if it's from Genesis 1-1, we just say the title is Genesis 1-1. I know that's incredibly creative, but that's just kind of the way that we've done things and we just move on. But today I want to tell you what the title of the message is, and I think you're going to understand why. So the title is Transgender Identities, Gender Dysphoria, and the Church. Welcome to the Ridge! (laughs) You excited? Now, if you chose to come today on like this is your first time. I'm so glad you're here. And I think it's, it's awesome that you're here. Also, you picked quite a doozy of a day to be here. And yeah, everybody else is holding their breath too. So are we really gonna talk about transgender identities and gender dysphoria? Absolutely we are, yeah. Also, here's my disclaimer. I usually talk 28 minutes, but it might be a little longer today. That's insult and injury right there. Not only are we gonna talk about an uncomfortable topic, but I'm gonna talk longer. And I can, by the way, I can see it when you turn around and you look at like the countdown on the back wall. <laughs> and sometimes when you do that, I want to be done too. Like I completely get it. I understand. Now we're actually in a series you know, that we're calling Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt. This is the last week of it. And we've been talking about these things that cause people, including people of faith, to question or maybe doubt what they believe. So this series has really been trying to do our best to ask difficult questions honest questions and to do our best to answer those difficult questions and to address things that kind of cause our doubt head on. So why talk about transgender identities? Why talk about gender dysphoria? So here's my honest answer. We're going to talk about it because it's irresponsible to not talk about it. We're living in a moment culturally where there are so many questions being asked about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how that intersects with our faith. And these questions actually haven't been asked quite on this scale, I think in this way before. So I do see the look on some of your faces and you want to bail so hard right now. Like you're texting somebody already. You're like lunch, winky face, like let's go. And I understand. And part of me is like, take me with you. But I think the reason we get so uncomfortable about this conversation is because we know it's kind of a big conversation. We know it's a big deal, and it's a difficult topic, minefield of a topic. And maybe you're apprehensive, maybe you're nervous because you know it is complex, and maybe you're walking with somebody who is walking through this, or maybe you're walking through it yourself, or maybe you're terrified about what I'm going to say, or what I'm not going to say, or if it's going to be hateful, or it's going to be truthful. So we're going to start, actually, before we get into the transgender identities part of this, we're going to just get on the same page with some ground rules. Have you ever done an activity where you had to sign a waiver before you started? That's kind of what we're doing. So you go to a trampoline park, you know, urban air, sky zone or something like that, and they make you sign this thing that says, hey, if you get hurt, it's on you. If you look at someone wrong, it's on you. If you blow up your knee and you're 40 years old, it's on you. Like it's on you if you're not following kind of the rules. Don't break them. So I thought it'd be helpful to get us all on the same page, make sure that we're being compassionate, loving. And if you're not going to kind of follow the ground rules, like Sky Zone would say, it's kind of on you. So let's start with 1 Peter 3.15 to kind of get in this mindset. This is what it says. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. So Peter, who, who wrote this, the context here is he's, 
he's talking about, don't be worried for suffering if you're doing what is right. So we're going to try to do what is right today. But it's also imperative that we, we address things. We talk about things. And sometimes we'd prefer to ignore them. We'd prefer to kind of put our head in the sand or, or say somebody else needs to deal with that. But in case you missed it, we're going to address it. But how are we going to address it? Well, we highlighted it in a gentle and respectful way. So another way of saying this, we're going to uh, approach this with grace and with truth. Now, on topics that are sensitive, people are anything but. And it's far too easy for us to mock or dismiss the struggles of others, especially if we don't have the same struggles ourselves. So ground rule number one, we will be gentle and respectful no matter what. And these conversations really kind of become divisive or polarizing or they kind of melt into an us versus them type of conversation, however you define us and them. And we're sometimes trying to make a point rather than you know, think about people. And it's anything but gentle and respectful. So today we're going to have empathy. We're going to be gentle. We're going to be respectful. And we're going to do that because of our love for Jesus and our love for people who Jesus loves. So the first thing, we'll be gentle and respectful. Here's the second one. We will remember none of us have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You probably don't either. And my promise to you is I'm not trying to drop the mic today. I'm not trying to dunk on anybody. I'm not trying to make a point without care. I don't have all the answers to this. I do think that this is a complex conversation. And if you don't think that it's complex, my hope is by the end of today, maybe you start to consider that. So we will remember none of us have all the answers. And here's the third ground rule. I think this one's important for today as well. We will approach this from a biblical perspective. That's what we do here at the Ridge. We are a church and we're going to do that unapologetically. And my goal with today is to guide us, really point us towards Jesus, which is our goal every single Sunday, actually, and every day in between. But if you're frustrated by me talking about it through the lens of Jesus or the lens of the Bible, this is your warning. That's our approach today. Okay, here's the last ground rule. This is healthy, I think, in a lot of situations. Here's the last one. We will listen until the end. And I know some of you are like, I don't listen until the end ever when you talk. And you're lucky that I'm listening to you right now. Like, that's fair. I understand. But I'm going to ask you just to kind of wait because this is complex. I think we need to be sure that we're actually listening to what God has to say rather than maybe form an argument. Have you ever been in that situation where you're forming the argument and you didn't even listen to what the person was saying because you're forming the argument, whether in agreement or in disagreement? So we're going to listen until the end. We're going to be gentle and respectful. Remember that none of us have all the answers. Approach it biblically and listen until the end. Now, I don't have a waiver for all of you to sign, but if you stay here or if you stay online, that means you're signing the waiver, okay? Be in agreement? All right. So to maybe help us get into this mindset, to add maybe some perspective, I want you to close your eyes and do a little bit of an imagining with me. Okay, close your eyes right where you're at. Imagine you were born a boy and you don't really like trucks or cars or sports. Or imagine you were born a girl and you never really played with Barbies or liked to dress up as a princess or anything like that. And as you grew up, you wondered why you, you never felt like you fit in. And imagine you feel confused about being a boy or a girl. And you watch someone say something, maybe on Instagram or TikTok, 
And what they're saying starts to make sense to you. Like they're talking about their gender identity and announcing a gender change or going by a specific pronoun. And, and they seem to be celebrated or they, they seem to be applauded. And they look happy. And that's what you want to be. Okay, here, here's another scenario. Keep, keep imagining. Imagine being a parent of a teenager and the teenager comes home one day and sits you down and tells you that he doesn't feel comfortable in the body he's in and wants to change some things like his appearance, his name. So you go online and you read and you research and you read things like you can either have a trans daughter or a dead son. That just takes your breath away. Okay, open your eyes. See, I want you to know something. Not one of the scenarios that I just mentioned is made up. They're real things, real people, real issues, real questions. This is very personal to them, and honestly, this is very personal to me. I know people who fit into these scenarios. They go to church here, and Jesus loves them, and I love them. So we've got to talk about it, right? But what exactly are we talking about? So we've got to make sure that we define terms that we're using today. See, words are important. Sometimes I'm using a word and you're using a word and, and they don't really mean the same things and the definitions aren't the same. So I've got an example, kind of a mind game to get us kind of thinking about that too. So, so here it is. I'm going to give you some instructions. Here it is right here. Go put the trunk in the trunk. And you're like, easy enough. Got it. No problem. So what do you do? Maybe you go get the trunk from the attic. You dust it off. And you go put it in the trunk of the car. But that's not what I wanted. And maybe you're like my 10-year-old son, Asher. In all his creativity, he went to the zoo. He broke in. He got into where the elephants are. They cut off the elephant's nose. And he stuffed that into the back of the 2010 Honda Accord in my driveway. Also not what I wanted him to do. What I wanted was for you to put the trunk of a tree into the box in the attic. Do You see, like, here's my point. Definitions matter. Terms matter. We've got to be talking about the same thing. So we're actually going to use six different definitions today. And it's a lot to keep straight. So my suggestion is for you, if you want to keep them straight, to take your phone out right now, go to the Ridge app, because in the app, under the media tab, is our message notes. And you can click on the notes for today, and you can keep all six of those definitions right there in front of you. And if you don't have the app, there's a QR code you know, that you can follow. You can click the link online, you know, things like that to make sure that we're on the same page. So we're going to dive into some of these terms and definitions. Here's the first one. Biological sex means I am male or female. So there's the intercourse definition of sex and sexual intercourse, stuff like that. That's not what we're talking about today. Some of you are like, I'd choose that one over what you're talking about today, but that's okay. Well, this is a definition about biology, science. It's in reference to chromosomes and internal reproductive anatomy and external genitalia. That's what it means to have biological sex. Historically, the biological sex of a person is not assigned. It's identified by anatomy. But recently, probably the last two decades, give or take, a new term has come up. Maybe familiar with this one. It's gender identity. Gender identity is when I believe I am male or female, masculine or feminine. I believe it. It's a feeling. You see the difference? Biological sex is usually not argued scientifically, actually. There's not a decision being made by a doctor or a person or a parent. Gender identity, though, is different. It's saying that gender is determined by feelings and self-perception. 
Now here's another term, gender fluidity. And this is an important term. Gender fluidity means that I can move across genders and be non-binary. So there's this progression. It's like it's an either or, and then this is how I feel. And then it's like, hey, I can really kind of move back and forth, fluid, be neither, be both male and female. So if biological sex is I am male or female, this is I can move smoothly between them however I choose and go back and forth. And this is directly relying on something called gender stereotypes. So biological sex is I am male or female. Gender identity, I believe I am male or female. Gender fluidity, I can move across the genders and be non-binary. And gender stereotypes is what culture defines as male or female or masculine, feminine. So this means that culture, the way that like our world views men and women impacts the way that we view men and women. And if we stop, I think this tracks. Even outside of this conversation, this makes sense. We have all sorts of things, good and bad, that we think men must do to be men. We even say like, give me your man card, you know, that type of thing, or women must do to be women. We, we actually do this all the time. So the best example I know how to quickly get into the subject is gender reveal parties. You ever been to one of those? So you're there and they pop the confetti and it's up and it's kind of raining down on you and it's pink. What does that mean? They're having a girl. That's right. It's not a trick. Didn't try to trick you. And you're like, it's a girl. Thanks for making me come to this party. And 150 years ago, 150 years ago, this is important. 150 years ago, pink was a masculine color. And blue was a feminine color. So what changed? Well, culture changed. Culture just decided. So we struggle with this in in all aspects. We struggle with it in the Bible. There's a guy named King David in the Old Testament. He was a king, but he also played the harp and he danced. And we go, that's weird. Or, you know, there's a woman, Deborah, in the Old Testament who led the army and was a warrior. And we're like, that's, that's a little odd. Maybe that doesn't fit into our gender stereotype. Or sometimes guys don't like sports and would rather you know, go to the opera and girls don't like cooking and would prefer to go axe throwing. And here's the problem. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to navigate it. And we sometimes get to the point that it is wrong. We say that's wrong. That's not normal. We shouldn't do that. It means we've stereotyped them to be the wrong gender. And stereotypes sometimes are good and sometimes are bad. So that brings us to the next definition. This really all leads to this next two definitions. This is gender dysphoria. That says, I feel like I am mismatched between biological sex, male or female, and how I feel about it, gender identity. So a BBC film called Transgender Kids says it like this. At the heart of the debate about transgender children is the idea that your brain can be at war with your body. That sounds terrible to me. Your brain being at war with your body. War inside of us. And I think we're all at war, actually, in our mind and body with something. All of us have to interact with this. This is actually how Romans 7 describes it. I love God's law with all my heart. But... There's another power within me that's at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. See, remember, we're waiting until the end, okay? But we're all tempted to live for something else, someone else, or be defined by something or someone else. It's a war 
in our mind. And the war in your mind might not be about gender or biological sex. It might be about something different. It might be about pride. It might be about food. It might be about lust. It might be about addiction or worry or finances or your family or relationships. But it's war and we're at war and it's difficult. And if we give in to live or be defined by anything other than God, we fall short. We sin. We're at war in our minds, even if we love God and we want to obey him. Here's the last term. Transgender, which is actually an umbrella term. It means a lot of different things for many experiences of gender identity that do not align normatively with a person's biological sex. So this is actually a little less or a little more, depending on the study you look at, it's around 1% of the population. But the conversation right now impacts every single one of us in one way or another. And this is why we're all aware of the conversation for the most part, even if we don't know how to engage in it or even what we think, or we definitely know what we think. So why take all the time to explain definitions? Well, two reasons. I think it's helpful and I think it's kind to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing or else we're killing elephants, you know, trunk in the trunk type of stuff. The second reason is I think it helps us understand how nuanced and complex this conversation really is. So our hope is that we do our best with grace and truth to understand and to love people, including people who might use the transgender umbrella term or relate to the thought process of gender dysphoria. But it really comes down to this in our time today. Like we actually need to talk about it, right? So I have three foundational questions that we're going to go through. We're going to do our best to answer. Now, I want to say we're not going to talk about every area of this conversation. There's a whole lot that is a part of kind of transgender and gender dysphoria and the conversation that we can have there. But we are going to talk about three foundational principles that can really help us as we navigate this as followers of Jesus. So here's the first one. What does the Bible say? That's a good place to start. Now, that's not going to be exhaustive either. We're not going to mention every single thing that we can mention here, but we're going to talk about a top few things that come up in this conversation and debate a lot. So we are coming at the biblical perspective. What does it say? So we're going to start in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We're going to start in the very first chapter of the first book, Genesis 1. It wouldn't be fun if I just went one, two, three, four, just went through the entire Bible. We're here for days. No. Okay, we're not going to do that. Genesis 1, 27. Here's where, here's where we're going to start. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So here's what we can learn from this. Human beings are created intentionally male or female, and are created that way for a purpose, to be fruitful and multiply, among other things. So, so check this out. A couple of verses later, Genesis 131, it says, Then God looked over all he had made. See, we're talking about the entire kind of creation account. Everything. He creates everything in the universe. And he saw that it was very good. So every other time, God saw that it was good. But when he created man and woman, he saw that it was very good. 
And then I think that has something to do with male or female being created in his image. He could have placed his image on anything in creation, but he actually chose people. So what does the Bible say? Well, I believe the Bible says we are created intentionally male or female in God's own image, that it's not a feeling or a choice. Now, God could have created us biologically neutral or formless or robots, and he didn't. Not only are we created intentionally male or female, but we're created in his image to reflect God. There's something spiritual about it, holy about it. So it's not a social construct. It's not a stereotype. It's not something that culture says. It's not something new. It's all the way back to the very, very beginning. and has purpose and function. Now, sometimes I'm in a conversation like this and I say a statement like this. And somebody goes, okay, but that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Or, hey, Adam, Jesus doesn't really talk about gender identity at all, so you shouldn't talk about gender identity. And I don't, I don't know if that's entirely true, actually. So in Matthew 19, which is in the Old Testament, and it is one of the Gospels, good news of, uh, about Jesus, Jesus is talking with religious leaders. And they decided that these religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus, which they did all the time, on the simple topics of women's rights and marriage. We're still having the same conversations today, it turns out. But Jesus, in Matthew 19, affirms Genesis 1. He says that we are intentionally created, male or female, in God's own image. And for the sake of context, at the time that Jesus says this, in the Roman Empire around him, people would have been very familiar, actually, with cross-dressing, sexual intercourse with the same sex, and that those behaviors would have been seen, actually, as worship to false gods. So at the end of the section... Jesus talks about kind of male and and female and and marriage. And then Jesus mentions eunuchs. Uncomfortable? What's a eunuch? Ask your dad. I mean, we won't won't put up like, you know, any charts or anything, but it's basically when a man is castrated. And sometimes this happens because they were born due to malfunctioning chromosomes Sometimes this happens because they are forced into castration, and sometimes they chose it. So what's Jesus' point? Because I don't think that his point is saying, no matter what, you should be a eunuch. I don't think that's his point. His point is eunuchs are welcomed into the kingdom of God. That's what he says. That, that they are loved. That they are loved by God. So that's the next thing that we can learn. So we're created intentionally male or female in God's own image. But the second part is no matter our gender identity or our biological sex, we are loved by God. That's what I believe that the Bible teaches, that it is an intentional male or female in God's image. But no matter what we think about our gender identity or no matter our biological sex and our body parts and chromosomes, and for that matter, no matter what we do, no matter what we say, we are loved by God. So one more example that comes up in this conversation quite a bit. This is Galatians 3.28. It says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. And really the thinking here is, well, that does away with being uh, male or female. It doesn't matter for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So people argue, hey, this means that we should be a-okay with our feelings and we can follow that because it says no longer male and female. And I don't really think that that's the point here. 
a guy named Paul wrote this, and I really think that he is removing the class system of the day. What does that mean? Well, it means it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, Jew or Gentile, but it doesn't remove being a Jew or a Gentile. It means that you are loved no matter what. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic is, slave or free. It doesn't remove that, but it is saying you are loved no matter what. It doesn't matter what your gender is, male or female. What it's saying is it doesn't remove that. It's that you are loved by God no matter what in Christ alone and created in God's own image as male or female. So here's the recap of what I think the Bible says. We are intentionally created male or female in God's own image. And no matter our gender identity or our biological sex, we're loved by God. Now that's a quick overview. And there are many resources that uh, you can read. We have some that we're going to share with you later on that you can dig into maybe what the Bible has to say. But I know even when we're talking about it from a biblical perspective, that doesn't always mean the tension goes away. Maybe it even adds to the tension. And you're like, I don't know what I think about this, or I don't know what to do with this. And if you're struggling, remember, we're waiting until the end, right? So there are people here, or there are people listening, or there are people watching online that are still walking through feelings like being a man in a female's body or they are in the process of transitioning or they're actively questioning why God would create them biologically one way to feel completely different in another way. So I don't think it's very kind for us to leave it as, this is what the Bible says, good luck to you. So we're going to talk about some of the intensely practical parts of this conversation. So this is a foundational one. This is important. Here's the second question we're asking. What about pronouns? Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. Still holding your breath? You're going to have to like take a breath at some point during the, during the talk today. Let's take a deep breath right now. Take a deep breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Oh, everybody feels a little bit better. So this is the question I get, honestly, when talking about the topic. I was talking to a friend and I said, hey, we're, this is what we're talking about at church. And after he got done telling me I was crazy, he said, what about pronouns? First question out of the gate. What about pronouns? And I don't really want to talk about pronouns, if I'm being honest with you, because things get messy and I don't think they're quite as clear as we want them to be. But I think we need to at least kind of start talking about this. So can I ask you this? Wait until the end. And remember, we're going to be gentle and respectful as possible, but I don't want to be flippant at all. And there are actually really good arguments on kind of both sides of this question. What about pronouns? So here's side number one. Using pronouns is unloving. So stick with me, but here's the thought process. This is someone saying, I want to be loving no matter what, but I would be lying to call a he a she. And lots of people I respect think this. And the logic here is to be untruthful is to be unloving. And the line of thinking might say using pronouns actually does harm or actually deepens a view that an individual is broken and not how God intended them to be. And this line of thinking might say using the pronoun actually affirms something I don't believe is true or healthy or God-honoring. So I respect the line of thinking. It makes sense. I understand. So that's side one. And you might be saying, yep, that is me. Or you might want to punch me in the nuts. But we'll wait until the end. Here's the second one. Ready? Using pronouns is loving. Hmm? How can, how can it be either or? Or both and? So here's the other line of thinking. Using the pronoun is also a way that we want to be loving no matter what. 
And it can be seen as an act of respect, even if you don't agree, or even if you don't affirm the belief. See, using the pronoun could be seen as allowing the other person, the person I'm trying to love like Jesus loves, to decide what they want to be called. And as I treat them with respect, as I treat them the way I would want to be treated, and I use the pronoun, I point them to Jesus. So do you see the conundrum here? Because I actually respect both lines of these thoughts. Grace and truth, both should be a part of this. But when it comes down to what are you going to say, I think it's easy for us to go, hey, I don't know. And I'm sitting down, I'm in a coffee shop, and I'm across from my neighbor, and we're talking about this, and they're saying certain things to me, and I don't know what to do. So I think that there's validity in both lines of thinking, but I'm not going to cop out, okay? See, let's be clear what the point is. The point is love people like Jesus loves them. So let me ask you this. When it comes to pronouns, what do you believe after you've thought about it and after you've prayed about it? What do you believe is the most loving thing to do? And then I would contend to maybe pray about it and think about it again. What do you think is the most loving thing to do and then act accordingly? See, not using or using pronouns in a certain way cannot be a political thing. The use of pronouns should not be about making a point. It has to be a Jesus thing. So with that said, and with much trepidation, I want to actually tell you what I think. And humbly, I'm going to remind you that I don't have all the answers, and I could be wrong. And not every elder or pastor agrees with me hook, line, and sinker here at the Ridge. And I think that's okay too. But I believe that pronouns and using them in a way that someone would like for me to use them could very well be the quiet grace and kindness that gently nudges them to give this Christian thing another shot. I want to be clear. I still believe we're created in God's image as male or female. And I also don't think me using or not using a certain pronoun changes a person's mind either way. And I want them, no matter what, to follow God's truth. Therefore, I will do my best to treat them the way that I would want to be treated, which is with respect and with love and to build a bridge rather than a divide. But don't get lost in the pronoun. The main point is love people like Jesus loves them. So the reason, the motivation of why you say what you say or don't say matters a lot. Now there's one more in important foundational question. And I saved it for last for two reasons, partly because I didn't want to end on pronouns, but partly also because I think this is a great place to end the conversation. So here's question number three. How can I be happy? So you see the progression here. Somebody's like, okay, if this is what the Bible has to say, and I want to follow the Bible, that means I don't get the choice, and that's what I want to do to be happy. So how can I be happy? Are you saying I'm never happy in my entire life? And can I pause and say this? We all ask this question. All the time. God, in my marriage, I feel like this. How can I be happy? God, in my job, it's so hard. How can I be happy? God, as a parent, I'm struggling. How can I be happy? God, I desperately want to be a parent. How can I be happy? So I think that this answer has to apply to all areas of our life, not just transgender identities. But even before we get there, I think we have to say this. Culture tells us that if we listen to our hearts, then we'll be happy. Listen to your heart, everything gets better. And in this context, listen to your heart, 
gender identity, and we think our mental health improves, and suicidal ideation goes down, and we feel happy. And as people are researching it, transitioning and gender identity, the results are not saying that it's just all happy and rosy. So how can we be happy? Well, this is what the Bible says, and maybe not what we think. This is Romans 12, starting verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So culture might say, listen to your heart, listen to your mind, alter your body. But I think scripture says, embrace the body God has given you and allow him to change your mind. Here's how I'd say it. How can you be happy? Well, you surrender every area of our lives to God, including our biological sex and gender identity, which is what we're talking about today. And my hope is because of a relationship with Jesus, we would all come to see the way we were created, our biological sex, as a divine gift from God, actually, and as a part of the identity he gives us. And I don't know what you're thinking. Some of you might have transitioned and you're feeling attacked or alarmed or confused. And some of you might dearly love someone who is struggling through this. And it sounds like I just said, too bad, so sad. Let God change you. So I want to be really clear, really clear. This is not about politics to me at all. And honestly, it's not really even primarily about pronouns. It's about people. Some people who agree with me, some people who don't agree with me. But no matter what, if you've stopped paying attention and you've been spending the last couple of minutes, you know, writing the sternly crafted email, we've got time for that later. I said, wait till the end. We're at the end. Come back. Okay. Just hear this. Can you be happy? No matter what your gender identity is, your background is, your situation is, my answer is yes, because Jesus loves you and died for you. You can be happy not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done. Will you be happy in every circumstance? Nope. Sure won't. That goes for everybody who follows Jesus. Following Jesus isn't like following a genie, you know, who magically makes us feel good. Instead, following Jesus leads us closer and closer to the one who created joy and peace and love in the first place. And you can be happy in the midst of figuring it out and in the midst of any struggle or pain or hurt that you have in your life. And I believe it to my core because of Jesus. Because Jesus loves you. And he created you in his image. And he wants you to surrender it all to him. Because when we do surrender it all to him, we've placed our lives, we've placed our identity in the most loving, trusting hands possible. So I want to say this. If you are walking through gender dysphoria, or you know somebody who is, you are loved And you're welcome here. And we will not shame you or shun you or judge you or marginalize you or look down on you. We will love you. And while we're loving you, we will speak from a place of truth and grace and reality and with the hope and the belief that God really can renew us from the inside out. We're not defined 
by who we say we are. We are not defined by who our parents say we are. You are not defined by your feelings. You're not defined by your thinking. You're not defined by who society says you are. You are defined by who God says you are. And the most important piece is this. The most important piece is this. Who does God say you are? God says you are mine. God says you are created in my image. God says you are loved. God says you are valued. God says you belong in the kingdom of God. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that following the one who died for you also means that we can be who he declares us to be no matter what. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, you created every single person. Full stop. Every single person. You created us in your image. We look like you. I don't even know what that fully means. But I know it's important. And God, as we enter into the world, the culture, our lives, work, school, whatever, help us live like what you say is true, both in the Bible, about this, about us, that we might live in a way that what you says that what you say is true. And that what we might live in a way that in that truth, we would be the most loving people because we understand whose we are and we understand where our identity comes from. We find our identity in you, not in anything else. And as we maybe wrestle with this, I don't know, there, there are likely people all over the map on how they're feeling, what they think. Well, this and that's okay. We surrender all of that to you. We surrender biological sex to you, gender identity to you, pronoun usage, yes or no, to you, our happiness to you. We surrender it all. And we say we are who you say that we are. We will do what you say that we will do. We will live as you call us to live. Thank you for your love. And thank you for the invitation to be in your kingdom, a true child of God. And help us look like you, act like you, feel like you, talk like you, walk like you. We surrender it all to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.